Welcome to the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast. This is the show where newcomers and professionals alike come to learn more about stage lighting. And now your host, David Henry. Wow, guys. Wow. This is so cool. So awesome. I think we are at episode 99. I think so. We're going to find out here soon enough, but... Wow, goodness. Um, for those of you that have listened from the start, um, today's a little bit of a different day. One, I, I don't have the internet right now, but that's okay. That doesn't keep me from recording a podcast. Um, this is May 4th is when I'm recording this, and it'll come out uh, May 12th, which is DMX Day 512. Um, here in the States, of course, I know uh, those in Europe and elsewhere celebrated on December 5th, uh, 512, in the way that you guys write your date, which... Actually makes a lot more sense than the way we write the date, but regardless, I'm stuck in my ways. Happy DMX Day, guys. Um, so, as I mentioned, I'm without inter- internet today, a little bit of a different day, um, which has given me a little time to think about things, record some videos, good stuff like that, um, because last night, on the 3rd, uh, a big storm went through Nashville. It was interesting. Uh, instead of, like, like we had a tornado a couple months ago, and yeah, that was, that was dangerous, but overall, the tornado affects, you know, a fairly small amount of people. Like, I mean, it's tragic and it's bad and all that. Um, but this one, uh, it came through and it knocked out power to about a quarter of the customers of our electric company here in Nashville. So literally 25% of the people. I mean, that's that's huge. Actually, I think it was over 25%. Um, and so naturally my internet's down. We've got, we've got power here, um, but, but the internet's down. So why not record a podcast? Sure, why not? That's a good thing to do. And I've got a lot of interesting thoughts. The last few episodes we've done interviews, I kind of batched those all up in a, in a week or two at the start of the, the pandemic here. But now we're, we've had some more time to think about it, had some more time to see how things were progressing. And I've got some thoughts for today. Um, not only on that, but just lighting in general. And so I, I hope you join me. So um, well, first of all, you know, live streaming. We, we kicked off this pandemic. I don't know if any of you guys remembered. But Dropkick Mur- Murphys, who's a punk band, uh, they play great music, really cool stuff. Um, what did they call themselves? Irish punk or something. They had a show that they were planning to do, and they came in at the last minute because this was right when everything was closing down here in the U.S., and figured out a way to do it as a live broadcast, uh, this show, and, and just put it out there for free. Okay? And since then, I've seen some interesting things. Um, for the most part, I think not a lot of artists, musicians, or music groups and stuff, not a lot of them have taken advantage of live streaming, like to do a show. Obviously, a lot of these artists are doing Facebook Lives and stuff like that, where they might just do something from home. But I think, as as what I'm starting to see here is, you know, here in the U.S. at least, and I, I'm seeing it from headlines around the world, you know, large gatherings aren't happening yet, but the economies are starting to open back up. People are starting to go back to work. Sure, they're going to wear masks and whatnot um, and and be careful. But, you know, things are starting to move again economically. And so while large gatherings such as shows, church services, etc., may not happen in their full form for a while, and that that stinks so much, it really does, I hate it, Um, why don't we think about I think we should be thinking about how to do live stream type shows. And these are different uh, from a from a, a stage show in that the people aren't in the room. But I think it's something worth looking at. Just literally ticketing. What if you charge? Like, I, I just think for artists, this is something they should do. And I've seen a few do this. 
What if you charge $10, $15 a ticket, or maybe a little more and told people to invite their friends over if they're allowed to do that in their municipality, you know, under the current current deal. Um, and, you know, you charge them this ticket price, you could spread it all across the web, all across the globe, and have a, a special event. And I think you, you probably have to frame it, just thinking marketing-wise, a little bit different from a normal concert. Okay, so what if, just, just some thoughts here, as I've been watching various live streams and, and ones that my kids are into and other stuff. Um, you know, what if you did a night where, I hope this is legal, yeah, you can play cover songs, you know, Weird Al does. So what if you played all requests one night, um, just on the fly, all cover songs, all, you know, maybe you did, um, you know, your first album or something like that. I don't know if that would be a hit. But I'm just trying to think of, and I've been thinking through, okay, with the economy starting back again, money flowing into things, you know, live events aren't happening, but people have a desire to do something. Not only that, but, you know, the well of Netflix and Hulu and whatever else is, is kind of drying up for people, right? There's people who've been stuck at home for the past month or two, and they're kind of running out of things to to watch on these channels, on these, uh, you know, these streaming services, and so what if, you know, $10, $15, $20, you know, pay what you want kind of ticket, something like that. What if you did a live show or a series of live shows that each kind of covered different genres or different topics or, or what have you? And then you spent the time and the effort to, you know, maybe get a little bit of lighting, get a really good audio guy to mix it, you know, whoever you know, and, and really put some value into it, right? Not just make it at home from our living room, but make it really interesting. And then what if it works, you're able to make a reasonable amount of money at the end of the night as a band or, or a corporate event or whatever you're doing. Um, and if it works, maybe this is something that you'll be able to do for a long time into the future, even when shows do come back. Those are my thoughts there. Anyways, I, I just I guess one of the things I thought we'd see by now, um, I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, is I thought we'd see more of this, more people taking advantage of live streams, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I don't see a ton of it. So that's my kind of encouragement. There's just some thoughts there, not not necessarily lighting. Um, but hey, I opened up this month's uh, PLSN magazine. You know, a lot of us uh, do open it up. And I have some interesting thoughts. And so the, this next portion is called Not Everybody Uses Grand MA. Um, and I think I was talking the other day, sorry if you hear chainsaws in the background again and people are cleaning up their trees and stuff, um, but I was talking the other day to an install guy, a guy who does installations for a living, and he was, you know, we were just talking about the Grand MA and how it seems to have, you know, control of the market, and, and it's what if you ask a professional designer, they say is the console they want to use, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but then... On the flip side, a lot of our students, or, or his customers in this case, um, they're not going to plunk down the money for a Grand MA when another console can do anything the customer would need for a fraction of the cost. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes these magazines like PLSM, I love them, but they profile a lot of really high-end gigs that all use Grand MAs. And I really think that it kind of creates this false impression that people have, because I see it on, on Facebook groups online and stuff. Um, I see this, that 
people, I think a lot of people, maybe if they're at a lower level in the industry, like they're not full-time or, or professional or whatnot, I think that the the perception is that Grand MA really owns the market and that they sell the most and they are just the biggest and best. And I'm not sure that's the case. I think it gets that perception because A, it's a solid console, it's, it's expensive, but it's it's a good, it's a great console, and it does the world's biggest events. But it's kind of interesting because not a lot of other places in life do we go look at, you know, the the champions of the industry and say, well, that's what I must need for, for somebody just starting out, right? Like if we look at race car drivers, we don't go out and buy a race car because we need to go get the groceries. But we say, oh, but those are the most skilled people in the industry, so I should go with whatever they go with. But we don't do that. Um, but in lighting, we do. We we literally use the hot rod of the industry, the most expensive console there, there is, uh, to my knowledge. And we go ahead and people buy it constantly at the entry level. And I, I just think often people's money is better spent. And so, anyways, um, w- with that said, this isn't an anti-MA rant, but I thought PLSN did a great job this month. They always have this page. I forget what it's called. It's called... Showtime, where they just profile quickly a couple different shows. There's a couple sentences usually about each show, information about the crew, and the gear. And for once, not every console on here is a Grand MA. And I think that's great. Because the truth is, you know, okay, half of them are. But the truth is, you know, I don't even think half the shows out there are using Grand MAs. It's just the biggest ones are. Okay. And not even all the biggest ones are. It's just the Grand MA seems to to catch the eye of people because most of the biggest shows use that console. Um, and so I just thought that was really good. thought that was really interesting, really helpful to just see and to show people, hey, there are other consoles out here. Other people are using them. You know, my favorite, obviously, everybody probably knows if they listen here is Onyx, but here we've got we've got Vista, we've got Hog 4, and we've got Camsys, um, you know, in three of these profiles. All three are capable consoles. You know, Onyx is my favorite, um, and I think for a lot of people getting started, it's the best choice. But the point here is um, not everybody uses a Grand MA, and a lot of times it may not be the the best thing and the thing that makes the most financial sense for your needs. And so that's actually a thought I have. I have a couple other thoughts on consoles too. Um, but quickly, I wanted to turn. They had a great article in here. We'll we'll put it in the show notes about the Lumineers. Um, which is designed by Sooner Ruthier, uh, one of the ladies of light out there. There's not a lot of ladies of light, you know, but but whenever they there are ladies in the lighting industry, they always do a killer job. And this is just a beautiful, really, really wonderful design, really great design. Um, if you have a chance, go check out the pictures because you will see in them um, a design that has so many different looks and so much range to it where there's pictures and there's points where it's all about the drapes. And then there's other pictures where the drapes are dark and it's all about the video walls behind the drapes. And other times where everything's dark, there's just a few lights on and it's all about the band or it's all about the air. And I think it's really cool to look at a design like this and just start to pick out all the different layers that there are. All the different aspects to the show that the design team 
is able to go ahead and turn on and turn off to be able to create that dynamic range, to be able to really create variation and interest visually throughout the different parts of the show. And I think they did a killer job. I haven't seen the actual show, and of course, you know, things are, are slow now, things are stopped, but it's one that I'd love to see sometimes. I think I think they've got great music, the Luminaires do, and uh, it sounds like a band that was about lighting anyways, and, and this design just looks awesome. Like, one of the things they do really well that I like, just to geek out for a minute, is they've got these wonderful, really theatrical drapes, but then they also have overhead a rig that that is laid out in a very rock and roll type fashion. And then they've got some LED wall behind the drapes. And then in the middle, they've got also these uh, set pieces. They might also be LED wall too, that have some cool like crosshatch patterns over them. And, and so they've got all these different elements on their stage. Some are more organic feeling like the, the theatrical drapes and, and such like that. And some are more rock and roll, you know, hard-edged, just um, mechanical feeling. And the way that the two mix, I think it's really interesting. And I think it's really cool. And I think it's something that we can use no matter what we work with lighting-wise. Because I think, and this has been one of my, my kind of core beliefs uh, since, you know, as long as I've worked, really understood lighting design, and also just as long as I've been teaching, is that... When you're going ahead and you're making a show, when you're creating a show and a design for lighting, you want to make the pieces of your design as multifunctional as possible and as just as dynamic as possible. Like, if I can fit a lighting position or a set or something into my show, and I know that I can get out of that piece, whatever it is, if it's a, a set piece or some lights or whatever, if I know I can get two, three completely different looking things out of it, then I'm all about that. I would rather have a design that I can spin two or three different ways to make it look different as I program than have something that just does one thing and does it like perfectly. That's just always kind of been my perspective with lighting design is how many different and interesting looks can I make with the same stuff? And I think this is a really great example, this show just is, as to how that works and how you, you really can do that. And so I definitely recommend checking those out. They did a really great job, actually. Um, the onstage set piece with the cross hatches, I'm seeing here, they, there's definitely some LED strip light behind them. Um, they're calling them sails here. And it's just a good-looking show. Man, it's good. It's a good design. And I think no matter, you know, what I love about these magazines, and I say this time and time again, is most of the articles in here are going ahead and they're profiling arena-sized shows, right? They're profiling big shows, okay? And you may not be doing those type of shows. You may never do those type of shows, and that's fine. But with the shows that you get to work on, the shows that you get to do, there are always lessons you can learn from the people who are at the top. There are always lessons you can learn from the people up there to bring down to your world to be able to use in whatever type of lighting you're doing specifically, even if it's not live music, even if it's a corporate event or a DJ or what have you. There are always lessons to be learned. Awesome. What I think I'm going to do next, guys, I'm kind of doing this on the fly a little bit, is I actually want to bring in a segment here. This is something 
that I've had on my mind for quite a while. And uh, it goes hand in hand with not everyone uses a grand MA that I that I put in earlier, which is this: um, How do you choose a lighting console? And so I know I talk about this a lot. It's probably something I talk about more than anything else here on Lauren Stage Lighting, and that's because choosing well with a lighting console means that you're able to easily program the things that are in your mind and do a variety of things on stage um, quickly and, and, you know, efficiently. But when you choose the console that's not right for you, it's tough to work with. Um, It can be frustrating. It can be hard to get it to be able to control the lights in the way that you desire. And it just generally gives you a much poorer quality end result and for more frustration. And so getting the console right, because it's the way that you take what's in your brain and you convert it to the stage through the console because it's ultimately doing the control, it's kind of a big deal. And so I've had this this thought in my, my head for a while to, to record a podcast about this, and so why not now, is... How do you choose a console? Because I have this core belief, and, and I, I've seen it with so many students, that using the most professional level console is not the right thing for a lot of people. Instead, what you really want to do is you want to find the console or the control solution that can do everything you need in the most simple way, the, the easiest way possible. Okay. And so, for some people, sure, that's going to mean getting the professional-level console. But for a lot of other people, it might mean going with something that a professional wouldn't ever use, that a professional wouldn't look at, etc. Um, and so, one of the things I like to tell people, I was just thinking about this the other day, too, is that when you're out there and you're looking to learn to buy a lighting console to control your lights, the very first thing you want to look at is, okay, what is the end result and how complex do I want to be able to program? And if you say, I'm used to professional lighting consoles, um, I've used them before, or I've watched people use them before, I understand how they work, and I want to be able to have the ability to, at any time, any place in the show, simply um, go from you know one look to another maybe make things up on the fly, maybe have things pre-recorded, maybe a mix of the two, then, yeah, yeah, you're going to want that professional-level lighting console. On the other hand, um, you know, because actually on that first hand, I was I was literally talking to somebody uh, last week, about actually a week ago from today, who was talking about one of the little brother consoles in the industry, one, the uh, Campsys Quick Q, actually, which I'm, I'm not a huge fan of. I think it's it's pretty, it's a little too limited. Um but they had they had put one in a church, um, and then when the church got used used to using it, they had come from a professional level console, and they realized that this thing wasn't going to work for them because it was really limiting. But flip that around to another user, okay? Because even though I, I like the Light Shark, uh, my friends in Spain, a lot better than the Quick Q, um, you know the Quick Q is a decent console, and for maybe a church of even a similar size and similar technology, the Quick Q might just be the perfect console. You know, I don't love it, but for 
a, a church with simpler requirements who maybe doesn't have anybody who's who's knowledgeable with programming at all and, and he's going to start from scratch, then they might go look at something like the campus's quick queue and find that it's perfect for them, that it does everything they want and more, and that it's it's quick and easy for them to learn or, or enter the light shark there because I like the light shark so much. Um, it fits in that, that same kind of zone. And so the way I usually like to break things down is I like to say, okay, there are entry-level lighting consoles, there are intermediate-level lighting consoles, and there are professional-grade lighting consoles. And I put any console that I run into in one of those three categories, okay? And I do that because it's like when you're at the entry level, there's a certain level of simplicity there. It's easier to learn to get up and go and and to get programming. But at the same token, there is a limit to what you can do. And there's a point where you start to hit the edge and you're really pushing the console further than, than what it can do. And usually it's it's not easy to do so. It becomes hard at that point because you're, you're trying to get the console to do something that it's not really designed to do. Moving up to the intermediate level, these are going to be those consoles that um, they, they kind of, they're kind of vague in a sense because they, they cover this wide area between what the simple consoles don't do well, but what the professional consoles, um, you know, they're, they're not too complex like a professional console. And so these are generally the consoles that are for people who want to get uh, professional light control, want to be able to select lights, select groups of lights, um, be recording those into palettes or presets, be putting those into cues, and putting those on faders, etc., and playing back the lights. But they're not ready for all the options or confusion, really, that a professional-grade console can give. Uh, then the professional-grade console is what it sounds like. It's what the professionals use. It could be a PC software um, of that console that the professional uses. And this console is unique in that it can do pretty much anything you want it to. But a lot of the times, a professional-grade console is a blank slate. And so, unlike the simpler consoles that often have kind of a way that they're, they're be they best work, a way to lay things out, a way to bring cues in and to play them back, etc., that really works best for the console, a professional-grade console often is, is very open to a variety of different ways to lay it out. And so if you're new to things and you jump into a professional level console, one of the things that I see people do a lot is they go ahead and they, um, and they jump in and they're like, oh, what do I do? How should I lay this out? Et cetera, et cetera. Because that's not predefined for you. You got you to gotta figure that out yourself. You know, it's a little different. And so um, what was I thinking? There was so many thoughts running through my head around this. I'll try to wrap it up in a succinct way. But um but when I'm talking to somebody and I'm helping them find the right console for them, um, you really want to look at that beginner, intermediate, um, professional level. And then you also want to look at, and this is important, okay, how do you set the thing up? How do you want to program things and how do you want to play things back? Because at every level, there are some consoles that are better for that live and on the fly playback others that are better for a pre-recorded cue stack to different songs. Some are better if you're looking to control them with external controls. And so 
we really want to look at, and this is something we do every day inside of uh, Learn Stage Lighting Labs, that they can really go ahead and, uh, you know, just, gosh, make your life easier. Because the last thing that I want, and this is something that I see a fair amount, is somebody will jump into a professional-grade console like Onyx because you can get started for free. You can download their software and get four universes out of it via Network DMX VR and SECA. And because of that, somebody gets into it, they start using it for their, their band, church, uh, whatever, you know, DJ, theater, whatever. And as they get going, they almost get carried away sometimes. They see a new button, they see a new concept, they see a new um, thing they can do, and they feel like they have to understand it, and they feel like they have to use it. And I love that level of, of exploring, don't get me wrong, I do it too. But on the other hand, um, the... It's important to know, especially when dealing with a professional-grade console, that it's okay to not know how to use all the features, as long as you know enough to be able to do the kind of things and shows that you're going to do. And at the end of the day, this is the biggest thing with lighting consoles, at the end of the day, when there's a live event, whether it's a church service, a concert, whatever, and people are enjoying themselves watching the show or service, you know, participating in it, etc. Very few of those people, you know, like me and maybe you, but very few of those people actually look at the show and go, oh yeah, I, of course they're using that console. It's a great show. Duh. No. Nobody says that. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's a tool in the toolbox. It's it's about finding the one that's best for you and then giving whoever your client is or whoever the show is for the very best and brightest show that they possibly can have. And then ultimately, it doesn't actually matter what console you use. Maybe you did run the whole thing on a Chauvet Obey 40. Not my favorite, but if it works for what you need, go for it, right? You know, or maybe you had a Grand M.A., and you ran your show that way. Maybe it was Onyx. Maybe it was a hog. The point is, nobody in the audience actually cares. <laughs> oh, man. I say that I say that laughingly. But it's so true. And so I just want to kind of harp that, that point home today. Also, oh, sponsor of the show. So you guys, hopefully you'll get a crack out of, crack up out of this. I do, I, I do too. I, it's, it's good to laugh. So I had been trying and testing using Amazon as a sponsor of the show because, you know, for years I've been signed up for their program where if you link people through to their website and they, they buy through Amazon, you get a small commission over the stuff that they that the person bought for, for no additional charge to you. And so over at learnstagelighting.com slash Amazon, just type that in, it'll take you right to Amazon, and then you're going through that and anything you buy um, basically, uh, you know, credits a, a small commission to me. Well, um, and that, and that's and honestly, you know, I'll I'll pull up the the report here on my phone. Um, you know, honestly, uh, let's see where it is. Yeah, honestly, since I've started doing this, you know, we'll look at it here. Yeah, you know, it's it brought in fifteen dollars, so that doesn't really pay for the show, but it does something, right? <laughs> but and but I still had hope that, that this thing would be a, a good plan, a good way to to kind of help fund the show. And, and help pay for the time that it takes, help pay for my assistant to, to make the show notes, shout out to Kari, she rocks, in uh, the, the cost of, of hosting the podcast, because when you host a podcast, you have to use a podcast host, which is different from the regular web host um, that I already have and, and also pay for. 
And so, well, all that to say, I thought, okay, this thing, you know, if I keep mentioning it, after a while, people get in the habit of using it. It could be, you know, a decent thing, basically a sponsor for the show without having to really make a loyalty to to some company that's sponsoring me because, well, that's something I'm really against here. I want to, um, you know, as always, kind of highlight the best things, the best things that I think are the best products, the best lights, the best consoles, whatever, that fit people's needs the best and point those out rather than what I'm being paid to point out. So I've, I've never done sponsors for that reason, and, and I'm not going to. Um, I think I'm still going to do the podcast every other week, but but here's what happened with Amazon, okay? A couple weeks ago, they sent out an email, maybe you heard about this, maybe if you hear, hear about this industry at all, to all the people that, that are a part of this program, and they basically said, oh, by the way, and they they didn't really even point it out, They it was just a regular email, like, hey, we have an update to our program policies, which they send out a fair amount of those, a couple, at least a couple times a year. And I clicked on it and I read it and I said, oh, that's interesting. So they literally slashed in half or greater all the percentages that we get. So, you know, before somebody bought something and I'd get 6% if it was within musical instruments, which most lighting or audio stuff is, that's that's the category, it's in on Amazon. So you get 6% of, off that. Oh, what's that now? 3%. You know, some of the things that I'd mention uh, would fit under like, um, oh, what is it? Not home improvement, but something like that. Tools and home and garden. That's what it is, I think. And you'd get 8% for that stuff. Um, and now it's 3%. So anyways, um, you know, I'm certainly not getting rich off of that, especially now. Um, and so, you know, just, I, I appreciate you guys listening. Um, I appreciate you guys joining me. I, I've done a Patreon. Um, and I have that at uh, learnstagelighting.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. But I'm really kind of at a loss as to, okay, should I just do this podcast every other week and just chalk it up and not worry about paying for it? Because um, it does take me time, you know, and it, it takes me money. Or, you know, what do I do with it? I'm not sure. But the Amazon thing obviously isn't working very well. So the sponsor guys, Learn Stage Lighting Labs, you guys know it probably if you've listened here before. It's where we teach people uh, how to get better with their lighting, how to create better lighting through learning. So, you know, we've got a, a variety, a whole bunch of action plans in there with a ton of videos on so many topics, band lighting, church lighting, DJ lighting, theater lighting, and then how to apply them to different consoles, how to use consoles to make, you know, great stuff, how to use the lights that you have, how to choose good lights um, to make great shows ultimately. And, and we show you how to do that through so many courses that are in there, always being revised and updated as well. Um, and, and I'd love it if you, if you join us in there. Um, in fact, over just the, the past few days, actually, uh, Jonathan's joined us and John and uh, Jean-Francois and Jeffrey and uh, Mark. So, so glad to have all you guys in here. Of course, this is going out like a week after this, but, um, you know, Matt as well, um, John, Sean, so many great people. Thank you guys for joining. I really do appreciate it because it does keep this thing going. So with that, guys, I'm going to get off my soapboxes. This was kind of a soapbox episode, wasn't it? <laughs> But happy DMX Day. I hope you're well, guys, and, and I hope you stay safe during this time. Obviously, it's it's been a tough one. Uh, a lot of people being impacted by this, but you know what? We will get through it, um, and um, you know we'll figure it out one step at a time. So have a great day. Stay safe, and uh, keep lighting.